0: I want to talk to you on this theme of reaching young people. It's be fair to say that if you were surveying the Christian scene, certainly in the city where we are, uh, you might come to the conclusion very quickly that what's necessary to reach young people is that you have exclusively um, very fashionable people, really, really ridiculously good-looking people on the stage, and that was not an option that was open to us, so we had to... (laughs) We had to develop a more thoughtful strategy (laughs) when we were planting a church. Um, I want to begin with the question of why are we talking about this. And I think it's very important to start a little bit further back than actually getting straight to um, some of the the answers that I think are there. And it's important just to stress right from the start. It's not because we desire to have... um, the most cool, vibey, edgy churches in town. It's not because we want to pander to the culture of youth which is predominant in the day and age in which we live and which I think is actually quite poisonous and dangerous. And it's not because we have a desire that's motivated of comparison or rivalry with other churches around us. And I understand those urges as a pastor, I understand um, our insecurities in leadership and I just want you to try and clear away those desires, those motives, and understand that the reason is because it is implicit in the Great Commission that we must pass on the faith to the next generation and also mobilize them into the mission that we are engaged with ourselves. I want you to think about this negatively. What happens if your church fails to reach younger people? Whether because they've grown up in the church or you don't draw them to your church and and they don't come to know Jesus. I think the church, well it's a statement of fact, the church globally and local churches are only ever one generation away from death. You consider what happens when um, a population goes into decline. It's been talked about a lot with regard to Japan. They have an aging population. It means there's an immense burden on the younger people to support the aging population, which means they're having fewer children, which means they're locked in this vicious cycle. And sadly, that's something, something like that is what you can see in local churches. They end up in a vicious cycle in which they fail to reproduce, and a church can end up in something like a terminal decline, which is sad and which is tragic. But you think of this positively as well. I'm, utterly convinced that we have every resource we need to see people come to know Jesus and to be engaged with the mission. The gospel is designed to reproduce. Christ was emphatically clear about this. And I don't think you need to be fearful or insecure on this. So I want to begin with the diagnosis of the problem. We need to ask, before we can think about the solutions, I think we have to ask the question, why is it that young people are leaving churches? or uninterested in joining the church. Um, I want to offer you a few what I would consider macro explanations, big picture explanations, so that we can start from some first principles rather than just running to quick solutions. And I want to give you three diagnoses that I, I think are reasons why we have a problem in our day and age with young people. The first is the cultural move towards individualism. Individualism is prevalent in Western society, and it's seen in the fragmentation of families. It's seen, you know, how you you have parents who maybe are separated, kids live, all the kids live in different cities, and they're all pursuing their own ends. It's shown in the way that young people um, often, like a beeline, head to the big cities, don't they? And they leave the small towns, and they head to places like London, Um, Why? Because in an urge, in the individualistic urge, the need to express and find yourself and establish who you are is a powerful urge. It's how you find your identity. That's not outside of community. It's, It's seen in the way people define morality for themselves. In an individualistic age, each person is a law unto themselves. And you do what seems good to you. And of course as part of this whole package is the rebellion against authority I think it's one of the things that makes it very difficult for us as preachers to speak an authoritative word it can feel so because you feel that there's a backlash against the Bible there's a backlash against authority so we have this great idol in our age which is the problem of individualism which means that young people are not particularly interested in religion or in the church a second huge problem is the growth of irreligion and by which I mean I mean that the growth of secularism in our day and age. It wasn't so long back that it was was noted that in Britain, we'd crossed the 50% mark of people who said that they did not believe in God. And that is not something that we can can ignore for a second. Secularism has grown enormously in recent decades and there's an incredulity towards religion, towards religious belief, an assumption that religions are man-made, systems of power to control people rather than anything supernatural, divine, or transcendent. And It's interesting to ask the question why. Why is secularism on the rise? One reason is because we are a wealthy nation. Jesus said it, didn't he, when he said it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom. And I don't think people often connect those two things, but I think where you see wealth within a nation, often that nation is turning its back on God. Another reason, of course, is because of the sexual revolution. A lot of people, I think, get this the wrong way around. They say that um, people lose their religion and then they become sexually licentious, or liberated, or free in the the language of the culture. But actually, the causation works in the opposite direction. That the sexual revolution caused people to lose their faith. And you'll know this if you pastor young people in your church who are wrestling with with, um, their desires that very often if they capitulate to those desires, it's not long before they discover they have doubts about their faith. And all of this is part of the milieu that we're in, of the growth of secularism and the death of religion within the Western context. People prefer, by the way, it's not that we, you know, people pre- substitute religion for other causes, don't they, in our day and age, whether it's the passion, the religious passion for veganism, or the passion about climate change, which is being expressed um, on our streets in London, particularly. Or the passion for um, justice issues. All of this shows that young people have an urge to be part of something bigger than them, but it is not going to be to do with God. Individualism, irreligion. And I'd, say, I'd add a third great, powerful undercurrent which has caused churches to become empty, and it's the problem of isolation. We, um, we have what has been described as a loneliness epidemic, in Britain and in the Western world and there's many reasons you can point to for this being the case. One is the growth of the prevalence of screens and of entertainment and of of isolated entertainment. Along with that is the growth of social anxiety among young people who grow up not playing necessarily with their friends outdoors but locked on their phones indoors. And then social anxiety becomes a vicious cycle as somebody as if people fail to connect with others, the very thing they need because they're socially anxious. And of course, this is something we confront all the time in our, in our church context. People are genuinely terrified of just walking into a room full of people, which I think is a relatively new thing. And hence the preference for personal versions of spirituality, if you have any version of spirituality at all, it's going to be me on my own in isolation. And the answer is, when we begin to consider some of the deep undercurrents that are at play here that prevent churches from reaching young people, I think we've jumped to premature answers. And I see this everywhere. The great danger and the temptation is that we simply go with the grain of what's happening in the culture at large. And the way in which we do that is by offering young people what we think they want. You want online church. Let's give that to you or you want a kind of non-offensive version of church. I, you, know, you step into many of the larger churches in London, you, would, you could go weeks without hearing the offense of the gospel and the call to holiness. And people see this as a strategy to reach young people because why, why offend people? We, we jump on the causes bandwagon and try and associate ourselves with the passions that young people are interested in as a way to appeal to them. So we become suddenly enthusiastic about climate change and we insist that people bring their own cups to the conferences and this kind of thing. So, (laughs) um, look, if I had the time, I'd love to open up John 6 with you and just show you how Jesus deliberately moves against those ways of feeding people what they think they want, because you don't end up with disciples at the end of it. It's that passage where he's fed the 5,000 one day, the next day they come to him basically wanting more bread and fish, and he says, you're here because you ate, your fill full of the loaves. He says, no, 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 you need to eat my body and drink my blood. It's an amazing passage, and he shows us that you cannot, if you feed people on something, you have to continue feeding it to them, and ultimately what you end up with is something less than disciples. So we need to think what is the right answer, and I want to offer you three answers to these problems. I believe fundamentally by the way that the right answer is rooted in the countercultural appeal of the gospel. Paul in 2 Corinthians the same book that Pete was reading from earlier said that we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to one a fragrance from death to death to the other a fragrance from life to life who is sufficient for these things for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word but as men of sincerity as commissioned by God in the sight of God we speak in Christ and i think one of the temptations in ministry is to become a peddler of God's word in other words to desire to conform what you're doing in ministry and the things you are saying in such a way so as to get the reward that you crave, be it church growth or some other reward. And that's a very dangerous, constant enemy to the pastor, I think, and to the whole ministry and the structure of where you're doing ministry. Paul says, I think, that we need to be comfortable with the fact that when you present the gospel in all its clarity, it will have what I think of as the Marmite effect, that some people will love it and some people will hate it, but you're cursed, there's no reaction. Woe to you, Jesus says, if all people speak well of you. Let me offer you a few suggestions that counter these currents that are running through our age. The first is this. I believe that what's needed to reach young people is to pursue the call to radical discipleship. And I, I say this as an antidote to the problem of individualism. What is individualism fundamentally? It's me defining my life by my choices, by my morals, pursuing my fulfillment. And what is that if it is not pride? And what's the answer then to individualism? The answer is submission. Submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Christ's method in reaching people was not to approach them and say, hey, you do you, but rather to say, you know, if you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross and die. This approach has caused all kinds of trouble in our church, I'm going to tell you. We did a five-week series in March on relationships, and we were still mopping up uh, the mess that we caused with that. But I just I'm I'm not satisfied with, with gathering young people who do not understand the call of Christ and what it means for them in terms of being a disciple. And therefore I want to I want to encourage you with every fibre of my being not to water down the message but to issue the authoritative call and the demand of Jesus Christ. And what is surprising is that young people will respond to that. I think that's the, tr- that, that's the phenomena we've been witnessing with Jordan Peterson, with his authoritative starts. Now, he's not preaching the gospel, but he's reaching hundreds of thousands, if not millions of young people, especially young men, the very demographic that's missing in our churches. And I know that that's also been true in the history of the church. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached in central London to a full uh, uh, Congregation in in Westminster Chapel, and when asked how he, who was anachronistic, he didn't fit with the times, wearing his Geneva gown with his traditional services, preaching forty-five minutes to an hour, and a church full of young people, when asked how is it that he was able to reach young people, he said it's the note of authority. I believe that this is what's often missing in our churches, this radical call to discipleship as the counter to individualism and the pride which lies under it. Here's the second thing. I would encourage you and urge you to engage with skepticism. If the trend, and it's not slowing down, it's increasing, the trend towards secularism is sweeping all in its path, and fundamentally it's rooted in the fact we do not believe, then we can't avoid the problem of unbelief. We can't, you know, people enter our churches assuming Christianity is false, and therefore I think we must constantly give reasons to believe the gospel. Now, and I want to, I want to encourage you to think about how this can get right into everything you do. It's not enough in my mind to add ways of engaging with non-believers at the sides or the fringes of your church life as a kind of appendage to your church, just through a seeker course or just through one-off events or this kind of thing. I rather believe that we, we live in a day and an age where we can assume so little, even of the Christians who come into our churches, that we have to find a way of engaging with skepticism and letting that be saturating everything that we do and speak about. And so one of the benefits of that is that you will help those in your church who are professing believers but are struggling with doubt by constantly addressing the causes of their doubt. You'll also strengthen the Christians by equipping them to be better evangelists, by being more confident, by standing up a little bit more straight in terms of the things that they believe about Christ. Engage with skepticism. And here's my last suggestion. I think that we cannot overemphasize the importance of calling young people to community. And I mentioned to you that loneliness, I think, is the greatest mental health issue of the age in which we live. And I see that as an unbelievably opportune moment for the church. The answer cannot be, as some churches are doing, to just merely create content to throw out there. And it can't even be to to make Sunday into an event in which people just come, they get what they want, they go away like individual consumers, if, if one of the root problems in our day and age is the, the problem of isolation, I would encourage you to double down and emphasize the importance of teaching your church to love one another, which chimes in with what Kela was just teaching us about. And we need to teach people, I think, in our day and age, what love is. We have to go right back to basics. It's amazing how the New Testament, in all of the one another commands, prioritizes the community of the church, even above and beyond your ministries to the outside world. We are to create a red-hot, vibrant community in which we are so passionately devoted to one another. People want to be a part of that. Now, I think we have to be a little bit cautious on this point Because even secular people recognize the desperate need for community. And it's it's often presented almost as the gospel of our age. I was just reading David Brooks' recent book, um, The Second Mountain. He's almost become a Christian, but I would say not quite. But it's interesting how he presents community as the great need of our age. I recognize it's a need, but community is not the gospel. It's rather the gospel creates community in a supernatural way. And that's an extraordinary thing when it happens. It doesn't create a homogeneous church either. It creates a church where people love, love across boundaries and differences that exist which would naturally pull us apart. And my observation in our context, as this has been one of our most deeply held values or, or, or priorities, is that young people crave this. And that when you have it in your church, it becomes, it's like honey to, to those who are desperately searching for, for community. So let me summarize. I wanna encourage you to avoid the superficial approach of trying to you know, kind of put another layer of paint on things, just change the vibe of your church, the aesthetic of your church, the feel of your church in order to appeal to young people. There may well be a place for that, but it's not where you start. And I wanna encourage you to avoid the, the more dangerous thing, the instinct which I see everywhere in the churches around us, which is to conform the church to the world, by chipping off all the stuff about the gospel and about the message you preach that is offensive and countercultural, but I think what you end up with is something less than Christianity and less than disciples. And I encourage you rather to see that the gospel has the resources to deal with these root issues which are causing unbelief to rise in our context. And ultimately, friends, you should have faith. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which is planted in the garden and grows up to be the biggest tree in which the birds of the air nest. He said it's like leaven, which works its way through the batch of dough. I'm utterly convinced that we do not have to change our tack or our method, but that our absolute conviction to the pure gospel of Jesus Christ is what young people need, ultimately. It's the fragrance of life to some. Amen. Amen. God bless.) <laughs>